Come, Holy Spirit. We pray that you would bring the love of God nearer to us. We pray that not only would we know it, but that we would feel it, that we would even be able to act on it and respond to it. We need you, Lord, to show us how much you love us. We have a hard time believing it. We have a hard time connecting with it. And yet, Lord, it is vital to our life. And so we pray that you'd come near and that you would be affectionate to us and help us see what you've done out of your love for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And good morning. Good to see you all. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name is Father Aaron Damiani. I live here in Chicago with my wife, Laura, and our four kids. And uh, we're glad to be here in the summer with you all. We've got a short sermon series next two weeks called Looking for Love in All the Right Places. Looking for Love in All the Right Places. We're going to get back to the basics here, and we're going to talk about loving God and loving our neighbor. Uh, and not just passively, not just sort of in theory loving God and loving our neighbor, but really actually pursuing love this summer, looking for opportunities to love God, looking for opportunities to love our neighbor. We want to talk about what that looks like uh, to take the pilgrimage up the mountain, as it were, to, to be pursuing love and not just waiting for it to come to us. I was thinking this week about and talking with some of my friends this week about why we become passive in our love. Why do we become passive in our love of neighbor? Why do we become passive in our love of God? And I think there's a few understandable reasons, a lot of which comes down to hurt and being tired, getting hurt and being tired. We, we, we love people here in the city, and we get really bonded, we get really connected, and then, and then they, they leave. They, they leave to go on to the next opportunity, so you make another round of friends, form another round of community, and then, boy, two years later, three years later, they're all gone, and then you start again. It's like, how many more times can we do this before we start to form a collective uh, sort of shell around our hearts? We just get callous. We just can't love anymore because we've been hurt. Or maybe someone has let us down. Someone has, has hurt our feelings. Someone has left us feeling rejected, and so we start to protect ourselves. The same is true with, with God. We can feel hurt from God. We can feel like God doesn't care about us. Mother Teresa, in her letters to her spiritual director, wrote about how she felt absolutely desolate uh, in relationship to God, that God uh, did not seem near to her, that there was a distance, there, there, was, a, there was kind of a, a darkness in between her and God. She really wrestled with, does God really love me? I, I don't feel it. And a lot of us can relate with, with Mother Teresa. We've got a Wikipedia entry about God loves me in our heads. But there's, there's not a fire in our hearts, in our affection, in our bodies of I am loved by God. I am beloved of God. God loves me so much. We've got the Wikipedia entry up here, but it doesn't translate to our lived experience and we can't respond affectionately to God because we don't really feel like he loves us. There's understandable reasons. This can become a downward cycle, right? A downward cycle where we don't feel loved by, by God and so we don't, we don't pursue love of God. There's other interesting things that we could do that are, that are, that are fun and, and connected and, and embodied. And so we don't, we don't love God in response, and then we feel even more distant from God, right? And then, and then, and then so we, we, we disengage even more. And so in these next couple of sermons, um, we want to talk about how can we reverse the cycle? What can, 
what can we do to cooperate with the Holy Spirit to, to learn how to be loved by God again and to learn how to respond in love to God, not just as individuals, but collectively together. So let's, let's turn to 1 John 4 in your bulletins or in your Bibles. 1 John 4. This, uh, this text here, 1 John 4, verse 7 through the beginning of chapter 5, it's this kind of rousing call to love God and neighbor. It's a rousing call to, to be active, to pursue, to seek love in all the right places in loving God and loving our neighbor. These two things are interconnected, but we're going to talk about them one at a time this week, love of God, next week, love of neighbor. So uh, let's consider how God has loved us. How has God loved us in the past? How does he love us in the present? How will he love us in the future? Let's consider how God has loved us in the past. Now, the second part of 1 John 4, 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. It's helpful for us to frame this verse out by thinking of it uh, as God loving us in creation. That the very act of creation, when we were born of God uh, coming into existence or born of God when he saved us through his son Jesus, that, that this is an act of creation and new creation. God is out of his love and affection bringing the world and the universe into existence. This is not God uh, doing uh, an act of duty, creating the world because he's, he's bored or he's lonely or he should or he must, but this is an overflow of how much God loves. God is a family, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They love one another in an overflowing way, and it was out of the overflow of God's love, out of the overflow of the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that creation came into existence. You are loved by God. You are loved by God. How do I know that? You exist. You're part of his creation. You are not an accident. Your life is not forgotten by him. Um, consider the way that a, a proud parent or grandparent holds a newborn child. You ever seen them do this? And they, and they look deep into the eyes of that infant. You ever seen that? Just consider the affectionate way that a mom or a dad or a grandmother or a grandparent looks uh, and smiles and just beams at uh, an infant that's just minutes old, hours old, just loving them, just, it's, it's so good that you exist. I love you already. That's the way God looks at you. You're his, you're, you're his creation. He, he wanted you to come into existence. And when we begin to understand and connect with that, whoever has been born of God loves God. It is because he loved us first in the past, in creation, setting this world in order, giving you a family, giving you friends, giving you a life. This is one of the ways that we remember God has loved us. He's also loved us in the past through, through the incarnation of his son. Verse 9 says this, in, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So here's, here's God in the past, not just 
giving birth to creation, but coming into creation, becoming a part of it. The love of God was made manifest among us. You know that it gets real in a relationship when someone moves into the apartment. You know what? So it gets real when someone, when, when you're sharing a dwelling, the relationship all of a sudden takes a whole new turn. Jesus is moving into the neighborhood. He's moving into the apartment. He's moving into our mess. Why? Because he loves us and he wants to draw near to us. Why did he do that? So that we might live through him. Jesus is coming to be among us so that he could be united with us, so that we could live in him and he could live in us. This is the closest possible way for God to love us not just for God to love us in theory, not just for God to love us from a distance, but for God to be intimately united with us. Our very heart should beat with the love of God. That's his intention. That's not a guilting pressure. That's his intention. So that we might live through him and that he might live through us. Final way God loved us in the past is in the crucifixion of his son. Verse 10, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. A propitiation here is a big word. Uh, essentially, it means Jesus came to die for our sins. He, he came to take the penalty uh, that we have earned through our behavior, through our moral choices. Essentially, our life, whether we know it or not, has a moral quality to it, and everything we do matters. God takes us seriously as moral agents in the world. And so when we break from God's plan and his commandments, there, there's, a, there's a tearing and there's a, there's a penalty. And so instead of God leaving us in that state, he sent his son for the specific purpose. It did not happen on accident. It was specifically planned and purposeful that Jesus came into the world, not just to live among us, but specifically to take the penalty to die for, to be the propitiation for, big word, for our sins. He wanted us, he wanted us to stand before God without condemnation and without guilt. And even here today, you know, you, you, this may be the first time you've ever heard this, or maybe you've, you've heard it before, but you don't quite believe it, and I just want you to know, God loves you. God loves you so much that he suffered greatly, and this is before you were ever born. And today you can accept this love. Uh, one of the great stories in literature is the story of Les Miserables. And uh, in, in this story, Les Miserables, uh, there's a character named Jean Valjean. Uh, Jean Valjean is a uh, uh, demonstration of, of the love of God and that he, he loves a little girl named Cosette long before Cosette could be conscious of the fact that he loved her. Here's how Jean Valjean loved the little girl Cosette. Well, the first thing that he did is that he rescued Cosette's mom from um, injustice. Cosette's mom uh, had, uh, was a, was a uh, prostitute, and she was unjustly accused of violence. And so she was in a jail, and uh, she was about to be um, uh, a victim of injustice. Jean Valjean had uh, the power. He stepped in. He saved her from injustice. And he, and he rescued her. And then uh, when, when she was sick, he cared for her, cared for Cosette's mom. And then in the course of that, Cosette, uh, so Cosette's mom mentioned she had a daughter that was being abused and that was under the custody of some other people. So he learned about that. Then he went and he found Cosette 
And he paid the price to, to win her over from these abusive parents, these abusive parent figures, and he took Cosette under his wing. And then he became her adopted father, and he raised her uh, from being a little girl all the way into being a young woman. This is before Cosette knew who Jean Valjean was. This is before Cosette knew probably that she, had, she was living in an unjust circumstance. This is before Cosette knew all that was to take place and all that was necessary for her uh, to have a loving father. Nevertheless, Jean Valjean took the initiative before Cosette knew, and he rescued her, and um, he adopted her. Now, out of his great love for us, the father took great pains on our behalf before we knew what was happening. Long before we were born, God loved us. Long before we were conscious of the fact, God poured his life out for us. So how do we love him in return? Knowing God loved us in the past, we say thank you. We say thank you. And that's why we have this table here. This is the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to the table and we, say, we, we open our hands to receive the bread. And, and we take the wine, we drink freely of the wine, and we say thank you. This is the Eucharist, the Greek word for, for thanksgiving. We say thank you, God. Thank you that before I could even ask for it, you loved me. Thank you that before I, could even, before I even knew, before I was even conscious, you were actively working on my behalf to adopt me and to save me and to raise me. One of the most precious things to see in a child is to see them looking back at their mother affectionately, looking back at their father, their grandmother, their grandfather affectionately. And even before they can form words, they're showing affection. And this is what we can do in the Eucharist. We don't, may even have the words to say to God, I love you in response. But we can simply say, we can come to him and look in his eyes through the eyes of our imagination. We can say, thank you. Thank you for loving me in creation. Thank you for loving me by sending your son, by coming and living in my, in my world. Thank you for giving your life for me. We say thank you for how God has loved us in the past. Well, let's consider how God loves us in the present. Look with me in verses 12 through 15. How does God love us in the present? Verse 12 of 1 John 4, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. This might be the hardest dimension of God's love to connect with for us. I heard a leader of a prayer movement say that Christians are very weak at loving God in the present. We're really good at loving uh, or at connecting with the way God has loved us in the past and even sometimes becoming nostalgic about the ways God has moved in history and in our own life. And we can become very excited about the way God will love us in the future and thinking about the restoration God will bring, the revival he will bring, the good times to come. But it's in the present that's sometimes very difficult for us to connect with the love of God. John tells us that God abides in us, that his love is being perfected in us. 
and that we abide in God. Um, This is the same verb, this verb abiding, uh, that John used in uh, chapter 15. Actually, Jesus used in, in John 15, the gospel of John, when Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, when he talked about being the vine and the branches, that when we abide in him, we bear much fruit. Jesus intended for our life to be like this, that in the present moment, we are abiding in Jesus, that we are conscious of his love, that we are, uh, that we are looking affectionately at him as we go about our life, as we go about um, uh, our day and our work. In his book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader, uh, here's what Pete Scazzaro says. Jesus slowed down to ensure that he was in sync with God, that he was in the Father and the Father was in him, powerfully filling every crevice of his body, mind, and spirit. I like that. I'll just read that phrase again, that he was was in the Father and the Father was in him, powerfully filling every crevice of his body, mind, and spirit. As a result, Pete says, every action Jesus took was rooted in a place of deep rest and centeredness out of his relationship with God. Just as Jesus lived in relaxed, loving union with his Father, he invites us to share in that relationship with him. So when we abide in God's love in the present, the love of God slowly begins to fill every crevice of our bodies, of our minds, of our spirits. And I would add, this is where we get the power to love God in return with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is where the power comes from. When the love of God slowly seeps into every crevice, imagine the love of God filling every cell of your body. Imagine the love of God baptizing every memory you have, whether it was painful or not. Imagine the love of God filling every thought, invading every situation that you find yourself in, at home, at work, in leisure. What would change in our life if the love of God permeated everything as it was intended to. So how do, we, how do we do that? It takes time and patience. It takes time and patience to abide. It takes time and patience to abide in the vine. Why? Because it needs to fill every crevice of our body, of our mind, and our spirit. Here is one of the essential delivery systems of the love of God in the present, and it is tough. It might be the hardest thing you do all summer. It is to practice Sabbath. To to quote uh, Pete Scazzaro again, biblical Sabbath is a 24-hour block of time in which we stop work, enjoy rest, practice delight, and contemplate God. It is an essential delivery mechanism for God's love. Essential delivery mechanism, meaning there's no other delivery mechanism that can deliver God's love like the Sabbath can. So how do we do the Sabbath? Well, we receive it every week as a gift from sundown to sundown. Here's how we practice it in the Damiani family, always imperfectly. It's never quite uh, perfect, but this is essentially what it looks like. Um, we practice our Sabbath on Fridays um, because I work on Sundays. I don't know if you knew that. Um, so on Thursday night at sundown, 
Sometimes we'll light a candle at the dinner table and be like, okay, Sabbath starting now. This is our gift from the Father. And, uh, and so it's time, for, uh, it's time for the liturgy of the phone. If you've ever been on the parish retreat where it's like, we turn, you know, it's like turn off email, turn off social media, turn off anything related to responsibility. And just, this is a time to enjoy God. And so we go to sleep asking God to fill us with delight and with love. And the next day is set aside to love Jesus and to love each other. So here's what that means for me. That means going on a nice long run, going on a nice long walk, uh, calling a good friend, napping, uh, second napping, second breakfast, um, reading, sometimes morning prayer, and just inviting Jesus to join me. And uh, it's just a time to love Christ, and it's time to rest, and it's really hard to do, especially at first. Uh, My spiritual director has uh, self-assessment questions for Sabbath. Here are the three self-assessment questions he asks himself after Sabbath. Question one, did I relax enough to get bored? Did I relax enough to get bored? Number two, did I then invite God into my experience? Number three, or did I busy myself? Did I invite God, uh, did I relax enough to get bored? Did I then invite God into my experience? Or did I busy myself? Uh, So why is this so hard? This is hard. This is hard for me. Uh, Well, adrenaline is fun, right? And distraction is fun. Adrenaline is fun and distraction is fun. And then the other thing is the thing. When we're bored, all of the emotional floaties come to the surface, don't they? Um, The emotional floaties of fear, the anxieties we have about our life, of sadness, things we're really sad about, Anger, those things are not fun to feel. Nevertheless, they're in our bodies, and God's love wants to surround them, baptize them, help us process them, draw near to them. Okay, and here's another reason why it's hard. There's the the voice of the self-critic that says, shame on you for not working hard enough. You aren't working hard enough. Look at everybody else. Look how hard they're working. Look how much they're getting accomplished. Why are you so lazy? Okay, so... We don't even know it, but we have all of these resistances to receiving God's love in the present that have to do with it's fun to be distracted, it's boring to not be distracted, and then also we've got, we've got all kinds of emotions that we don't want to feel, and we're so afraid of our self-critics saying you're not working hard enough that we never, we never stop to listen to it. We just keep going. So here's what I found, though. Week after week of practicing this, that it is a way to receive God's love, that I can internalize it in my body and my emotions and my thoughts in a way that I couldn't if I just kept going, kept going, kept going with responsibilities. Sabbath opens my heart and my mind and my strength to the love of God in a way that nothing else can. If you want to start practicing it, maybe start with a three-hour chunk in your week and just receive that three-hour chunk each week uh, as, as a gift from God, and extend it as far into 24 hours as you can. God has loved us in the past, and uh, we can say thank you. God loves us in the present. We can receive and respond to that love in practicing Sabbath. God will love us in the future. God will love us in the future, more than we can imagine. So here are two verses that I would love to actually spend the whole summer on. 
We're not going to, but I would love to. Um, verse 17 of chapter 4, 1 John 4, 17. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Near the end of Les Mis, the story of Les Mis, uh, the French Revolution is being put down. And one of the members of the French Revolution, one of the young student revolutionaries, was Cosette's fiance, Marius. And Marius uh, was uh, going to be swept up in all of the executions of the French revolutionaries. So the authorities were cracking down. They're going to crack down on Cosette's fiance. And he's lying unconscious in the street. And who finds him but Jean Valjean? Jean Valjean finds Marius in the street, unconscious, waiting judgment. And he scoops him up. <clears throat> and then he carries them. He, he, he goes down into the sewers of Paris. And he walks Marius through the sewers. And he walks, and then, and then he walks all the way through until he's in safety. And then he brings him up and he tends to his wounds. And as Marius... Uh, kind of comes back and resurrects, he then is introduced back to his love to Cosette, and they are married. How will God love us in the future? How will God love us in the future? Well, when we turn to Christ, here's what, here's what God says. He says, when you are unable to defend yourself, when you're about to cross the threshold of death, I, Jesus, will come and I will find you, and I will get you, I will scoop you up, and will take you over the threshold of death, and I will protect you, and I will advocate your case before the Father, and you will be absolutely covered in love, and then you will be introduced to the communion of saints, and you will be connected with them forever and ever. And though you face judgment, it will be a completely different type of judgment because I am covering you in love. That is what Jesus promises us when we come to him. When we say, take all my sin, when we say, transform me and be my Lord, he says, I will cover you in my love. There is no fear in judgment. Perfect love will cast out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Fear and anxiety can choke out our love of God. We can become uh, afraid of judgment, but God wants to reverse the cycle. God wants to prepare us to be loved in the future by showing us that love now. Here are ways that I have experienced God's future love <laughs> where, where uh, there's no fear of judgment. I take the part of myself that I'm tempted to hide, that I'm tempted to to cover myself because I'm afraid, and I go to a loving ambassador of Christ who has the capacity to handle what, what I'm hiding, and I will share an experience that was hard, or I will confess my sins, or I will talk about my feelings in a way that I know will be understood. The part of myself that's tempted to hide then comes into loving connection with someone who is an ambassador of Jesus to me. And I experience the, the kind of unconditional love, even though I'm fully known, I'm also loved 
by God through this person. Sometimes when we are cold in the love of God, the first step is not spiritual disciplines. The first step is relationship. The first step is the, is the kind of connection that we have with someone who's, rate, who's already overflowing with the love of God. Do you have someone like that in your life? Uh, well, we, one of the reasons we have prayer ministers every Sunday is just for that connection. If you want to know what it's like to be in the presence of God, but to not uh, feel shame and to, to, to not be cast out because of your sin or experiences or emotions or hard things, go to a prayer minister. This is one of the ways that we experience that there is no fear in love. Past, present, and future, God loves you. God just loves you. Let me just collapse all this together. You know what the Father's heart is for you? Let me tell you, and this is all from the text. The Father's heart for you is to be his child who is fully loved. Verse seven, whoever loves is born of God and knows God. The Father's heart is that you would be forgiven for all the ways you failed to love well. We've all failed to love well, right? We've all failed to love God and neighbor well. God wants you to be forgiven of that. Number three, the Father's heart for you is that you wouldn't be afraid anymore because of how loved you are. Can you imagine not being afraid anymore because of how loved you are? That's the Father's heart for you. Number four, the Father's heart for you is that, that, that you would wear an easy yoke with his son, Jesus. Verse, uh, chapter five, verse three says, his commandments are not burdensome. God loves you so much and he wants to be sought by you. He wants your heart to thirst for God like the psalmist in Psalm 63. He wants your heart to, to respond to him affectionately with thanksgiving, with honesty, to pursue him like you would pursue a romantic interest. To be stalking God on Facebook, maybe. I don't even know how this is going to translate for you, but God wants to be sought. He's been seeking you. He wants you to seek him. And he loves you. He has affection for you. We can even love him together. We'll have a few minutes to pray together in prayers of the people. This summer, we're, we're opening up the last part of prayers of the people just to, to ask for God's love and to ask for his Holy Spirit. Maybe today, some of you, it would just unlock that love for you just to be able to say, Jesus, I love you because you are holy. Jesus, I love you because you are creative. Jesus, I love you because you are beautiful. Just fill in the blank. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So let's seek to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And let's do it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.